Right. Okay, so what's the time? Right, I'm going to try today, you can hold me to this, I'm going to try not to be ridiculously long. (laughs) Okay, so let's get going. So we are back in Genesis. Now, if you've not been with us before, you won't know that we've been working our way through Genesis. Last um, autumn term, we did... um, We did Isaac, um, and then we did Esau and Jacob, and we left off at the end just about to do Joseph. So this term, we're going to do Joseph. Now, why Genesis? Well, we've called it um, uncovering the God of our ancestors, because you need to know where you've come from to know who you are Um, and to know where you're going. It's really important. Um, If you think about adoption these days, um, children who are adopted get a full book about their life story. Um, And it's not always easy to read, but it is about who they are, where they've come from, what happened, um, and they get that, you know, age appropriate to them as they grow up. They'll never grow up not knowing or having a big surprise. And for us, as Christians, we are adopted into God's family, okay? And what that means is not just that, you know, oh, great, well, I'm now a son and daughter of of God, which is great, but we gain with it a great ancestry. All the, what we call the Old Testament characters, become our ancestors. They're part of who we are. It's the story of who the church is today. In Genesis, we find the first, don't we? It's often called the book of beginnings. So you'll have uh, the first, right at the beginning, as, as Howard said the other week, in the beginning, God. So it's the first mention of God. This book is about God. It's for God. He is the main character. And then we get the first man and the first woman and the first marriage and the first birth and the first sin and the first murder and the first promise. We get lots of firsts in this. And here, Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. And Abraham, if you know, if if you're familiar with Genesis... um, He is the one that receives a promise from God saying, I'm going to take you from here. I'm not going to tell you where I'm taking you. I'm going to take you from here and I'm going to take you to a land that's going to be yours. It's a promise and I'm going to bless you through it. I'm going to give you descendants beyond the stars. And here they are at the moment when we pick up this account of Joseph, this small family uh, several generations, a couple of generations later, are living in this land that's been promised to them. But it's certainly not theirs. They are a minority group still. They are still, um, you know, very much the minority. Uh, they're vulnerable. Uh, as a family, they're still fighting amongst themselves. They still very much need God's grace, like ourselves. And today's narrative will not end at the end of Genesis. It will continue into Exodus and then, of course, right through to the New Testament until we'll see the ending in Revelation. Now, we're not going to do all that today, so you can relax. I really am going to keep it short. 
But through this story we're about to read of Joseph, and we'll do it over the next 10 weeks, we'll be learning, you know, how God uses the circumstances in our lives to bring about his plans. Okay? We'll also be learning how God uses, can use evil things in our lives for good. And we know there's promises in the New Testament for that. And we'll also remember that he can be trusted. He is utterly faithful to the promises that he makes us. He will not just forget about them, change his mind, go, oh, I made that, but I don't remember it anymore. He's faithful to his promises. Okay, so let's have a little look at the slides. There's our little descendant tree. Noah, Shem, blah, 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 the father of, the father of, father of, father of, father of, Joseph, da-da. And today's uh, sermon is entitled Shattered Dreams, Shattered Dreams. Um, So I'm wondering to start with, if you've ever been there, that you had a plan that didn't work out. Okay, maybe you planned to go to university somewhere, but you've ended up at Southampton, Sorry. Dan got really cross with me when I told him that. (laughs) Maybe by now you thought you'd be married. You thought that you'd have children. You thought you'd be working in this industry or you'd be higher up than you are. But actually, that's not how it's worked out. You thought you'd be retired. You thought you'd be child-free, maybe. But you're not. You know, there was an accident along the way or something. Um, And it's also shattered dreams about ourselves as well. You know, we have a picture of who we are, what we're like, what our character's like. Uh, We thought uh, that people quite liked us, but then maybe we overheard somebody and they're like, we realized actually weren't as liked as we thought we were. Um, Perhaps you thought you were unflappable. Um, You never get ill. You're one of those people, oh, I never get ill. And suddenly you're coping with an illness you never thought you would have to cope with. It was unimaginable. Perhaps you thought, oh, I'm such a together person. Oh, these people, you know, they get depressed. I don't know what's going on. And suddenly you yourselves are struggling with mental health. It shattered dreams about who we thought we were. So there's two different types of shattered dreams. In my life, I've obviously had both of those, as all we will. We, all of us will have. Shattered dreams are part of life. When I came to university, I was engaged. I was going to finish university, crack on, get married, have some kids. Well, that didn't last. Not a chance. No, we met someone else and that was the end of that. <laughs> I thought I was quite together, you know, I'm sort of, I want to project I've got it together. I'm a together sort of person, you know, you can't flap me. Well, I've had to struggle with my own mental health issues, with anxiety. So our dreams, both what we expect and who we think we are, can be easily shattered. So what do you do in those situations? You know, where is God in our shattered dreams? How are we going to get on with it, as it were? When I, um, when I experienced uh, my fiancé going off with someone, I, I just didn't know what to do with myself. I was absolutely broken. My dreams were shattered to the floor. But God was there. And that's, I'll tell you a bit more about that later on. So we're going to be uh, looking at Genesis, and it's chapter 37. 
Now, I'm going to say right at the beginning, I haven't got time to read it all, okay, because it's massive. Uh, But what I'll try and do is just read some bits of it, and if I get a bit boring, you can read the rest on your own, okay? That's fine. (laughs) I don't mind. Okay. So if you've uh, watched uh, Joseph or uh, the film or you've read it before, you're at a little bit of an advantage. If you haven't come across Joseph before, don't panic. I'll just do a bit of a summary and we'll all be all right. So in the beginning, uh, we're going to look at two things. Um, The dreamer, verses 1 to 11, and the shattering of the dreamer, 12 to 35. So we're going to look at two parts, okay? So first off, the dreamer. So we've got, got, um, I'll read just the first bit. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father, that's Isaac, had stayed in the land of Canaan. So they're setting the scene here. Joseph's dad, Jacob, he's in the land which his father had stayed. The word stayed, it um, it still means stranger, So it's saying he's still an immigrant. He's still not at home there. Okay, so that's what they're saying. And it says, this is the account of Jacob's family line. And we're going to hit the next story, which is Joseph, a young man of 17. So looking through this, I'm not going to read it, but I am just going to say a few things we know about Joseph. Firstly, we know he's young. He's 17. Secondly, we're told he's tending the flocks with his brothers. Um, and it says the sons of Bilar and the Bil- sons of Zilpah. So we know that he's not the only son. There are much more brothers. In fact, there are 11 other brothers. And that his father's got more than one wife. In fact, he's got four, although one, Joseph's mum's passed away. Um, we know that it says at the end of that, verse 2, he brought his, their father a bad report about them. This is a kind of a slanderous report. So we know of Joseph, he's young. We know his dad's got too many wives. We know he's got lots of brothers. And we know that somehow, even though he's young, he appears to be in some kind of supervisory role here. He comes back and tells dad what's going on. And he hasn't brought a very good report. Perhaps he's a bit of a snitch, we shall say. (laughs) Um, We also know verse 3 that Israel, that's, that's the name that God gave Jacob. Okay, so if you're confused about that, Jacob, Israel, used interchangeably. He loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. So we know that he is the favored son. That's why he's got this special role. He's loved more than the others. And we also know that he made him an ornate robe for him. Okay, so that's where we get our Joseph and his technical jean coats, and we can sing all that later. Um, but if you imagine he's number 11 and it's sons, um, what normally happens in a family is if you're number 2, 3, 4, 5, 11, you get the hand-me-downs. Okay? If you've been that person, I'm so sorry for you. Um, but not Joseph. He is getting the new stuff. And not only that, it's special stuff. So he's got all the good stuff. If you're thinking in a family, like my girls are all about the scooters at the moment, imagine if I continually gave my youngest all the new clothes. She's got the best scooter. She's got the one. And poor old M gets all the secondhand stuff that I just find for her, you know, on eBay or at the car boot sale. This, that sort of thing is going on here. So he's got all the stuff. What else do we know? 
Well, end of verse 4, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word of him. So imagine normal family bickering in a family. He's got 10 older brothers and they pick on him like there's no tomorrow. They have not, it says they could not put a kind word to him. They never said anything nice because they hated him so much. Is he bothered? I don't think he is. And then we get this dream. He has two dreams. The first dream is of the corn in the field. So he has a picture of corn, uh, uh, kind of bundles, bowing down to his tall bundle. And, and Joseph, in all his wisdom, decides he'd share this with his brothers who hate him and bicker him and bully him all the time. But he's so arrogant. Let me tell you what happened. I had a dream. Nobody has got any doubt about what this dream is about. It's not like he's going, oh, this was a really confusing dream, guys. He knows exactly what this is about. And more than that, he then goes on to share one even farther about stars and moon. So he's making a picture of like, they bowed down to me too. And he shares this with mum and dad. And even dad, who just loves this guy, thinks he's the best in the end, even he feels he's got to step in and say, now, now, you're getting a little bit above yourself. Joseph dreams of being the boss. He dreams of being the leader in this family. And why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? His dad has already set him up as the leader. He's the supervisor of these guys. He will go and just see how they're getting along. Yes, tend those sheep a bit better. I'm off back to dad. We'll just go and sit in the tent for a bit. Now, before you get going, Joseph is quite arrogant. And that's hard, isn't it? Because when we look at our ancestors, we often look, look at them through rose-tinted glasses, don't we? Uh, and we just focus entirely on what God did in their lives and how great they were. But actually, Genesis is raw. It wants us to see, actually, that they're not perfect. They were really messed up. They really didn't have it together. It was entirely grace. And that's when we looked at Israel, Jacob, his dad. And people used to meet me on the door and go, I really don't like him. Good. That is what the Bible's showing. It is only grace. And we'll come back to that later. So we've had his dream. So that's it. So the next bit is 12 to 35. We'll look at the shattered dreams next. The shattering of the dreamer. And this is a good bit. So verse 12. So his brothers have gone to graze his father's flock. So there they are. They've gone near Shechem. I'll just pick that up. Shechem, remember, is a hideous, violent place. Previously in Genesis, if you read it, you know it's the place of rape. You know it's the place of massacre. The writer's giving us a bit of a hint of what's coming. They've gone to Shechem. Don't want to go there. No. And so dad, in all his wisdom, says, come, I'm going to send you to them, to that place of violence. Very well. So off Joseph goes in his supervisory managerial role again, a young 17. Have you ever been in that situation where you have a job and there's just this junior upstart that doesn't look old enough to have left school that's your boss 
people. Some people are nodding. Or, yes, yeah. or the other way round, you are the boss. Oh, and you don't look old enough to be out of nappies. Oh, I remember that when I started teaching primary school, and I knew, I knew every parent was thinking, she doesn't look old enough to have left school. And now I look at my children's teachers and I go, they don't look old enough to have left school. <laughs> so here he goes. And what does dad say? He says, go see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring back, bring word back to me. He doesn't bring back good words. Um, so off he goes and uh, he finds someone when he gets there. They say, no, he's not here. He's gone a bit further. So he goes a bit further. It's quite a distance where he's going. It's quite a long journey. And then we get to the crucial bit. Um, 17b. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. So they're going to kill him. They say, here comes that dreamer. And that word dreamer, um, it's more than just dreams. It has this idea of master or owner or lord. So um, a bit like time lord, it'll be um, like dream lord. Okay, so they're, they're implying that he's both the dreamer and his lord. He wants to lord it over them. You could, um, yeah, it kind of carries that sense of master. So they're, they're sort of mocking him immensely. Oh, here comes the dreamer who wants to be our lord, who wants to rule over us. And they say, come, let's kill him and throw him into these cisterns and say a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. They're not liking him too much. So what happens? Reuben jumps in, the oldest, says he tried to rescue them. He says, let's not take their lives. Don't shed any bread, blood. Throw him in the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. And then it says, it's almost in brackets, Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. Reuben is the oldest. He's the boss. He's the one they should be listening to. That's important. He's number one. He's the one ultimately who by rights, will be Lord of the others. We'll come back to that in a bit. So Joseph comes, and what do they do? They strip him of his robe. They throw him in the cistern. The cistern is empty. There's no water in it. So at this point, Joseph is in the pit. And I just want to pause for a minute there, because that, that is where we are when our dreams are shattered. We feel like we're in that pit. We can't get out the pit. We're looking up. It is dark. There is no water, no hope. What on earth are we going to do? And that's where Joseph is, right there. So what happens? As they sat down to eat their meal, can you imagine this? They've just plotted to kill him. He's in the pit, and um, there's no hope for him. They've thrown him in, so that's not done him much good just sit and have our breakfast this is that gives you a good this is why the writers put it in he wants you to know they they just they couldn't give a monkeys they've just sat down to tuck into their chicken sandwiches or whatever they're eating they looked up and saw a caravan of ishmaelites coming from gilead so that's they're coming from the north with their camels loaded with spices balm and myrrh and they're on their way to take them down to Egypt, where Ishmael's, so that's where Ishmael's mum's from, the Ishmaelites. Blah, blah, blah. Judah said to the brothers, he's number four, 
What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. Oh, like they care. Just want to get a bit more, bit more of the older money out of him. I want to get something out of him, a bit of revenge maybe. Verse 28. So when they came, they pulled him up out of the cistern, they sold him, and off he went. And verse 29. Reuben returned. Okay, remember Reuben's number one? We don't know where he's been, but he wasn't there. And at this point, Reuben returns. When they saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He's absolutely grieved. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy, the child, this, what they consider a baby, And he says, where can I turn now? He's in absolute panic. He is is responsible. He is the oldest. And he has got to take the word back to dad. So what do they do? They just cover it up. Joseph's road, dip it in blood. They took it back. We found this. Examine it. See if it's your son's robe. Your son. Not our brother your son. There's even more distance there. And Jacob tore his clothes. He put on, put on sackcloth and he mourned his son for many days. All the sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Okay. So what's going on? The brothers are just driven by rage and hatred and jealousy. I don't think anyone had any idea of how wrong it could go that day. Dad had no idea that was coming. He's so blinded by this perfect child that he can't believe even for a second. Even he must have seen how they treated him. He sends him off. He doesn't believe his sons are capable of this. Who would? Do you believe your own children were capable of this? You just wouldn't. Reuben, he doesn't believe his brothers were capable of it either. He just thought, oh, let them, let them, let them just shout about a bit and then I'll go back and get him later. He doesn't believe that's gone wrong. And what about Judah? Hmm, we'll come back to him. So in the pit, Joseph, his dreams are utterly shattered. His father can't protect him. The coat he's been given doesn't give him any authority. And his world, his family, is gone. His dreams about who he is and what he'll do have been utterly shattered. And we read later that he pleaded with his brothers for his life. They just sat down and ate their sandwiches. So what are we going to do? We know the dreams are from God. They were so vivid and so clear. No one had any doubt about who they were from. And yet at this point, it feels like that's never going to happen. And Joseph's dragged off and he's sold. Israel is broken. This family is a mess. But that our, our ancestors were a mess. When we looked at them before, they were a mess. Isaac is broken. Reuben is broken because they should have listened and they didn't. Judah is so broken that he leaves the family group and he goes off and sets up his own little tent somewhere else. 
they can't, he cannot even bring himself to look at his father's face daily because of what he's done. He's had to go somewhere else. And where is God? Where is God in this? Joseph had all his security in his dad's love. Dad's not there anymore. Can't rescue him. He had significance, and maybe in his elevated position, the job that he had as supervisor. And he had his self-worth in all these possessions that dad was giving him. And everything's been stripped away and everything's crashing down. How about us? Where's our security? Where's our significance or self-worth? You know, when, um, when I was in that position where um, my security was gone, my fiancé had gone, and I was just broken, and the love that I thought he had for me just was absolute rubbish. I felt utterly, utterly lost. And I just lay on my bed, and I said, God, please help me. And the Holy Spirit came in power and met me. And I was filled with the most amazing love I have ever felt. I've not felt it that powerfully since, but it was awesome. God was in the room. And because of that, even without that, I could get up and go because I knew that I would be all right, that God's love was with me. And when we're in that dark place, when we're in the pit, we can feel so lost. But God is just waiting for us to say, God, I need you. You know, I didn't do any special prayers. I didn't get on my knees. I didn't follow any rules. I just lay on my bed crying and said, God, I need you. And he was there. And in our significance of who we are in the love, let's go through. We feel secure only when we've got God's love. Only when we've got God's love. We're going to see Joseph go on a journey over the next 10 weeks where we're going to see God's plans work. And I think it's really interesting that Joseph from this pit He goes to the next bit, and then the next bit, and the next bit. But he doesn't give up. There's something keeping him going. And I think that thing that's keeping him going is to do with God. He never loses God. In the next bit, he works really hard in his job. It looks like he's going somewhere. It looks like he's going to achieve it. Those dreams that he had, maybe if he just holds on to them, He's going to get there. But then he's back in prison. He's back in the pit again. What has happened? And then in the prison, he works really hard. And it looks like he's going to get there. And it looks like he's going to get there. And then someone just forgets about him. And he's back in the pit again. We'll see it go through his story. But by the end, we'll see how God redeems that family. How he brings them back. How he brings back dad to see his son's face. How he gives those brothers who, how can you ever come back from that? 
They thought if they got rid of him, they would have, they would have that love of the father. They got exactly the opposite. Dad became even more distant. But we'll see how God's going to bring that family back together and heal them. I think this is just a beautiful story for us to look at. So getting on with our shattered lives, when things go wrong, when stuff's stolen, when you lose your greatest champion, when you receive a bad report at work, when you find out you're going to get sacked, what do you do? Well, firstly, security. You're going to need the security of the love of God. Romans 8, 37 to 39 says the following. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things in the present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. At that point when we're in the pit, when we've lost that thing that gave us security, that gave us significance, that gave us a sense of value, we need to know the love of God. We need to pick up our Bibles. We need to read those verses. We need to plaster them on our walls. We need to say them out loud. We need friends to bring them to us and say them to our face. Nothing will separate you from the love of God that you have in Christ Jesus. What about our significance, who we are? When um, we've lost who we were, when we've lost our job, our position, when we've received the bad report, when people didn't like what we did that day, when they were negative about our presentation or negative about our report, what do we need then? Ephesians tells us, he, God, predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure. We need to know who we are. Many things can be taken from us, but that cannot be taken. You are a daughter or a son of the king of kings. You are adopted and nothing will change that. Finally, What about our value, our worth? Joseph is now a slave. What's he worth? 20 pieces of silver? Not much. He's not getting all the goods these days. He has to wear a uniform, that's it. Gets no time off, no days off. Not worth nothing. What are we worth? Romans 8, 5, sorry, verse 8. God shows his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is in our shattered dreams. He is always working in them for good. It might be good that comes in the future that's beyond what you could ever imagine here. Or it might be good for us beyond what we could ever imagine after we pass away from this life and we go to be with him. 
But he's always at work in us, whether it's shattered dreams of things we hoped would happen, whether it's shattered dreams because actually we're not the person we thought we were, and he's working with us to make us humble, to change our character. It's painful in the circumstances that he puts us through, but he is always working in our shattered dreams for good. And just to finish, we're going to finish now, but I want you just for a minute to think about uh, maybe the top question. When you feel disappointed or sad, what is it usually about? Because when we examine ourselves on this, we can see um, kind of what's making me sad. What am I wanting in that moment that I'm, that I'm not getting? Is it, is it love that I want in that that moment is is it value that i'm looking for is it is it significance when i feel disappointed or sad what is it usually about and and it will just sort of move a few things in you don't don't feel too bad and if you've got time when i feel content and most happy what what is that usually about you know where are you getting your happiness from them? It won't be that it's a wrong thing. Don't get me wrong. God's given us families. He's given us our jobs as a blessing to us. Let's not get confused there. But he wants us ultimately to be able to say, even if I lose everything, I've still got you, God. I've still got you. And I know you've got good plans for me. Okay, so we'll just... Be quiet for a few minutes, have a little think, and then I'll pray. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you that through Jesus we can call you Father. And we know that you love us. We know that nothing will ever be able to separate us from you. We know that we're chosen. We know we're adopted. We know that we're your sons and your daughters. And that you've purposed us with good things to do. We thank you that in our circumstances, you work for good. And Jesus in the things that we thought about now, we thank you for them, for the gifts, for our family, for our friends, for our work. But we pray above all that you would always be number one, that no matter what happens, we would be looking to get our love and our significance from you. Jesus, keep changing our hearts to fall more and more in love with you. Make yourself more and more real to us. And Jesus, we thank you for Joseph. We thank you for this account we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And we just say now, Lord, teach us. Change us and make us more like you. In Jesus' name.
Amen.